Good morning. Sure glad that you are here. Hey, uh, quick update. Um, this just, uh, so much happens in a week, and I, I'll say I'm going to do something, think that I did it, and then find out that I didn't do it. I don't know if anybody else ever has trouble with that, but that happens to me. Had a guy from Canada yesterday who listens, emailed me, said, Pastor, several months ago, we had taken that offering for Pastor Terry to help him with the medical bills from Brenda's cancer and then a couple of other things that he needed. And you said you would let us know what the total was. And he said, listen how nice this is. He said, I listen every week, but it must have been one weekend when I was unable to listen that you announced it. How kind is that? What a kind way to say, you dumb pastor. So I, um, <clears throat> I checked, and sure enough, I did not do it. And I, um, I, I want you to know that when we talk about the generosity, the spirit of generosity here, how thankful we are for you that you listen to God, what it allows us to do. I know that it's so easy to hear those things and think it's just, you know, blah, blah, blah. Folks, listen, you gave $66,000. $66,000. Now, here's what we said. He had the uh, cancer's expensive. There's just no other way to say it. It's, uh, it's unbelievable, and it goes beyond what insurance covers. He then had funeral costs. He did not have life insurance uh, on Brenda. And um, on top of that, uh, what I said was, should it go past what his expenses are, we will let him keep the money so that um, the desire was their place was Hawaii. And in the last two years, when we knew without a miracle what was inevitable, we encouraged Terry and Brenda, gave them as much time as they needed to get away with each other and to go spend that time. And that was their place to go to. There's some folks in our church who have graciously offered things like a condo or a house for them to use. Um, just it, it made it where they could do that. And they got to Hawaii two or three times. Brenda had said to Terry, um, if there's any way possible um, that you could bring the kids here and spread my ashes, that would be my final wish for you guys to be able to do. So what I had said to all of us was, uh, and I had a feeling, it will probably, he's so loved, they're so loved, that, that the offering will probably go far beyond what the bills are. And just said right up front, we'll let him keep it, and then he can set up his trip to Hawaii. So he was able to pay uh, off all of the debt that he had to the hospital, able to pay the uh, funeral expenses, able to pay... Um, you know, just the knick-knack stuff that happens in that. And then he was able to pay to fly his children and his spouse and their spouses with him uh, to the big island that will be in late July, early August. And they'll be able to spread Brenda's ashes at that time. And it leaves a little bit left over him for him to do a couple of other things. So look at me real quick. Well done. Just wait. Don't let, it, don't let this wash over you. Hear me. Well done. If you were able to give and be a part of it, thank you. If you wished you could have, but you prayed for them, thank you. The fact that when I say it just now, you're excited and you clap and you cheer, that's the spirit that we've worked so hard for 20 years to produce inside of our church. If you think that's uh, accidental, um, I just want you to know 
So many places would never even consider doing something like that for a person. Terry emailed me late last night, and he said, I'll just read it to you so that I don't mess it, uh, I don't mess it up. Forgive me for taking the extra time to do it, but I think it's important that you, that you hear it. He said, please express in your update on the money that was given for medical expenses, mortuary expenses, the ash ceremony in Hawaii, how much that has meant to me and to our family. It has lifted so many burdens that we carry. I'm so grateful for our church, praying for you, praying for them. I hope to bring life today in ministry. He's been invited to minister at a church today, and that's what he's doing. Uh, love you, John. Love our church. Um, you're one of a kind. I thought I'd just throw that in because, you know, it's... Because it makes me feel good. So, um, church, I just can't in all sincerity. Um, and I realize that I use humor a lot of time to deflect things and to, um, to whatever. But um, as pastor, <clears throat> on behalf of the Hilders, on behalf of Jesus, thank you for what you did. Bravo. Well done. Yeah, may we always, always, always do things like that. <clears throat> if you want to go ahead and grab your notes, we'll jump into the message. It's the final message in the series on the blessing. Let me recap for you very quickly what we're doing. This is our 20th anniversary. In 2017, I was so excited uh, knowing that 2018 was the 20th anniversary, and then we get into 2018, and the first five months of 2018 were the first, the five worst months I've ever had in ministry. I'm sorry that I ever brought it up, to be honest. Uh, between deaths and things with family and just, uh, just all sorts of stuff. I'm, I'm having a little, uh, a little facetious time right there. Um, but what we did was we, we looked at what is it that 20 years ago we laid as a foundation that we're um, enjoying the fruit of today. For instance, that whole thing with generosity. You know, I taught generosity year after year after year and tried to be a generous, but I tried to show people, here's how we're generous. We have paid for other churches' mortgages. I've paid other pastors' salaries when they couldn't do it, especially on startups. We have tried to help in so many ways to demonstrate our Father is generous to us and we're most like our Father when we do, do what He does. And holding our hands like this with what God's given us is so important. So we went back and we just looked at what were the foundational messages we taught 20 years ago that we feel are critical, still important. I'm not out of material, so it's not trying to find material to come back over. We're not doing entire series, eight-week series over these things. All I'm trying to do is go back, find key messages that I thought were so important that made us who we are, revisit those things because I feel like they're always worth talking about. They're always worth bringing back up. It's been two or three weeks, so we've been talking about the blessing. Dan taught last week, did an awesome job on his point of view from the blessing, listening to the blessing that his son wrote for him. Wow, do the demands get it or what? That was just super powerful. Uh, here's what I'm going to do to wrap it up today. I'm going to uh, finish the series talking about the blessing of multiplication. The blessing of multiplication. Now, uh, you might sit there and think, man, is he going to talk uh, about a prosperity message? Um, if, you, if you need to know how I feel about prosperity... I like it. Do you? So I realize it gets abused. I know preachers have, you know, teach the whole give to get thing. I know that that manipulates people to abuse people. Bottom line, though, just, I mean, I, let's settle this issue right now. Uh, who's against God's blessing in their life? And if you're like, I don't want it, dude, what's wrong with you? 
there's a, you need to make an appointment. And get that fixed, because God is a, listen to my statement, listen to my statement. God is a blesser, the source of all blessing, and all blessing come from God. And even if somebody else has blessed you, God's the one who caused it to happen. I'll prove it to you. James 1.17. Look at this. Every good and perfect gift is from where? Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And here's what that simply means. God is a blesser, the source of all blessing. All blessing comes from God. God began as a blesser. God is still a blesser. And God will not change his mind later on and not bless you. He doesn't change. God is not like a man. He is not a person who is prone to his emotions being the thing that guides him. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is a blesser. That's just simply the way that it is. That message is important because when you pray, instead of begging God to bless you, you need to realize he already has. And what you really need to do is to rise up and receive the blessing that God has on your life. Your prayer should be dictated by what God says is true and not begging God to do something. How can God do something he's already done? Do you understand that? Oh, God, I wish you would show up. He already has. Oh, God, I wish you would show me that you love me. He has. Oh, God, I wish that you would save me. I wish you would intervene. God, I wish you would hear my prayers. He already... So pray like he has. Does that make any different message? But anyway. So I want to talk about the blessing of multiplication today. It's probably in a different way than you think. So let me, let me go this way real quick. I don't know if you've ever considered this, paid attention to this. Uh, the kingdom of God is a paradoxical kingdom when it comes to the world. It works exactly the opposite. A few facts are simply this. God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. They're higher than yours. I think different. You have to approach it different. Uh, the Bible says that the carnal mind, the mind that's not renewed, the mind that's just uh, uh, th that one that you were born with, that's never been renewed by Scripture and by the promises of God, the Bible says that mind is actually at, at, at uh, war with God's mind. And God's trying to win out. That's why you need a renewed mind. The whole idea of blessing can be such a foreign concept to people because many times we just think to ourselves, it can't be that simple. God just really can't feel that. If he really knew who I was, here's the great news. God knows exactly who you are and loves you. Everything about you. I'm going to say it one more time. Everything about you. You know, some of you are like, that just can't be true. It's true. We love him because he, he first loved us. That means, dude, on your bad day, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you enough not to leave you there. But it really is okay to not be okay. God loves you and will get you where you need to be. God is a multiplier. The original blessing over mankind is the blessing of multiplication. It's found in Genesis 1.28. It reads this way. Here, help me. Then God blessed. God blessed. Okay, it's, I'm not twisting. I'm not changing. I'm not warping. I'm not. Then God blessed them and said. So remember, the blessing is out loud. It's verbal. It's spoken. It's heard. Be fruitful. And what's the word? Okay, now, no question. No question that a portion of this is talking procreation. No question. I'm not arguing with that. That's not my point. But it's bigger than that. 
So the Bible says that you were minted in the image of God. Jesus has asked the question, is it lawful to pay taxes? And he just simply says this, show me a coin whose image is on it. Okay, uh, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God, meaning everything that's minted in the image of God belongs to him. That's what you render to God. You are minted in the image of God, therefore you belong to him. Because that's true, if you can follow the logic of that and the thought of that, you're minted in his image. That means that certain attributes that you have, certain things about you come directly from God. God put in you certain desires, certain, certain thoughts, uh, certain ways. I, I mentioned last time I taught creativity is one of those things. You can see that creativity is not a fixed issue. Uh, as we grow, as we advance, as society moves, creativity, uh, it, our, our creative ability changes like God's does. We can look at things that aren't and call them out so that they are. It's powerful. One of those things, though, when it comes down to this idea is multiplication. So when it says be fruitful and multiply, the word multiply there is not simply have sex and, and create more children. The word multiply there, it, it is a general word in Hebrew that means to do well in all areas. So follow me just for a moment. To do well in all areas. This is why a person wants to succeed in life. It's why we want to grow and to learn and to know. It's why if you have children, you want your children to do better. If you have grandchildren, you do whatever it takes to make sure they have a greater opportunity. It's why if you run a business, you're not satisfied with mediocrity. In fact, here's the truth of the matter. When a person is satisfied with mediocrity, when a person no longer tries to do better, something's been stolen from that person. They're not in their right mind any longer. And this is exactly what Jesus comes to address. The thief is a killer, a destroyer, a liar. What is he trying to do that in your life against the promises of God? Everything that he can do that undoes what God says. All he wants for you to do is to believe. He has no power to make you do anything. He cannot control you. If you are born again, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the devil cannot come in and control your life. Dude, quit saying things like, remember that old, I'm going to date myself, Flip Wilson? <laughs> Some of you are like, what? Who? What? i got to stop doing that because, man, I, I'm aging myself out as I stand up here. But his old statement was, the devil made me. You know, some of you are too old, aren't you? You, you remember that television. The devil, may, the devil can't make you do anything. Here's what the devil can do. He can whisper in your ear, and if you believe the lie, you give yourself over to the power of a lie. How powerful is a lie? Good Lord. The counseling we do basically is to try to undo lies that people believe about themselves. Can't believe how powerful a lie is. God's original blessing over mankind is the blessing of multiplication. Be fruitful and multiply. Multiply is not just procreation, but it is to do well in all areas, man. To do well in all areas. In fact, the word really means, listen to this, the word multiplication in the Hebrew actually fully means to become skillful at doing well. You don't do well accidentally. Anybody live long enough to know that? You do well on purpose. Uh, let me make three statements real quickly. If you've got a pen or a pencil, these are fill in the blanks. We do that because we think it helps you remember, maybe recall. 
Uh, maybe be able to fight the enemy with these things. Maybe able to uh, combat the lie. Maybe able to just move forward. That's why. Uh, three, three statements. One, it's God's blessing. Blessing for multiplication. We just read Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Multiply is not just procreation. Multiply is to do well in all areas. The word shalom. You've heard the word? Shalom. Jerry, remember we're in Israel. They use that word constantly, shalom. Uh, we see it as a greeting. Hello, goodbye, shalom. Shalom is far more than that. Uh, shalom in Hebrew is to pronounce a blessing on a person that says, uh, may you be whole in your mind, may you be whole in your body, and may you be whole in your spirit. To multiply and to prosper in all areas of your life. Uh, John writes, I want you to prosper even as your soul prospers. Multiply. Do better. So three statements simply beginning, God's blessing is for multiplication. Two, it's in the heart of people to multiply. Here's what I mean by that. It is naturally found in the heart of a person to grow, to learn, to advance, to mature, to succeed, to prosper, and when those things are not there, it's because something strategic has happened that has knocked them down. Um, I grew up, <clears throat> a person in my family, who is awesome, past now, loved, raised me, such a powerful person, but life had so... So, so done a work in her that here was her statement. Um, if you don't expect much, you'll never be disappointed. Yeah, that's true, but what a horrible way to live life. To not expect. What, here's what she's saying. I've been so disappointed, I don't want to try anymore. You never want to get there in life. That's dying before you're dead. Can I come over here and try that? So, so we'll make a deal. Let's not die before we're dead. You're dead long enough. It's like eternity, you know? And yes, it's heaven and it's good, but God put you here for a reason. And the reason to be here is not like to bunker down and just hold out till Jesus comes. He said, occupy until I get back. That, has, that occupy has to be to move forward. Yes. Do you agree with that statement? Yes. It's just simply, uh, back to that we're minted in God's image. The fingerprints of God are all over you, man. When you feel this way, that's not the devil. That's God. God put that in you. Would you agree that God is successful? Say no more. All right. Three, multiplication is a skill. While it's in your heart naturally to do it, while you want to grow and learn and advance and mature and succeed and prosper, you add whatever word you want to add in there. Multiplication becomes a skill. Ecclesiastes 8.5. Solomon, in his wisdom, wrote these words. Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. Look at this part right here. The wise person. Say that with me. The wise person will know the proper time and procedure. You want modern English? A wise person knows what to do and when to do it. That skill, yes or no. Yes. Yes. 
That is skill, baby. People pay you for skill. People promote you for skill. You stand in front of kings and important people when you have skill. Skill opens doors for you. Uh, One day of favor from God is worth a thousand days of hard labor. And that skill at one moment can do more for you than you can possibly imagine, man. Polish the skill. Move forward in the skill issue. God wants you to learn. He wants you to become... He doesn't want you just to go, hey, whatever happens, happens. That's not skill. Skill. Okay, three ways multiplication happens. Because the kingdom of God is a paradoxical kingdom. Here, I'm going to let you discover this for yourself. Here's what Jesus said. If you want to be first, be... Well, now that is crazy. According to this world, yes or no? If you want to be the greatest, be the... Uh, The one who is humble gets God's attention. And the one who is arrogant, God pushes away. Doesn't it seem like in the world, people are like, promote yourself, put yourself, be seen? I mean, so, so, uh, you know, this is interesting. Just a thought. I don't, it's just, it's just, uh, I just think it's interesting. When we read, we read top to bottom, left to right. Hebrew is bottom to top, right to left. It's opposite. God said, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. To come into my understanding, you've got to have a renewed mind so that you think the way that I think. In fact, I will just say it this way. You cannot afford to have any thought in your head that God doesn't have in his. It's very costly. Dude, very costly. Very costly. When I have hired people based on this and not this... It costs me. Relationships based on this and not this are costly. Does that that make any sense? I just, sometimes I just like to teach, man. So three ways multiplication happens. And you could, uh, you know, if you like, like multiplication happens in what? Business, money, family, ministry. Um, Because it's a paradoxical kingdom, it happens the opposite of the way the natural mind would think. Uh, You know, I mean, think about this. Here's Jesus' strategy for dealing with numerics when it comes to people. Leave the 99 and pursue the... That does not sound like a great business technique. Are you you just following what I'm saying? According to the world, that would be silly. Stay with the 99 because that's where you got the majority. But Jesus is like, no, stop that and go get this one. There must be something that God knows that we don't know. That when we're obedient to what God says, oh, the blessing that's there. All the time we're praying, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. Here's what I have found in life. Do what God is already blessing and you'll be blessed. I don't think you heard what I said. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay, so write this down. Three ways multiplication happens. Remember, it's a paradoxical kingdom, so it's going to sound opposite of what you would think. If you think, boy, a pastor's got a great self-help message. Let me finish, because uh, you might not, you know. Uh, three ways multiplication happens according to the kingdom of God, which is a paradoxical kingdom. The first way that multiplication happens that doesn't sound like it would, but it does, pruning. There's not a person in this room who is not skilled at gardening who does not understand the benefit of pruning. If you have roses, dude, when you're done pruning a rose, what does it look like? 
Looks like you killed it, yes or no? But what does it do because of it? It's actually unhealthy to let it go. If you have a fruit tree, what do you do with a fruit tree? You want better fruit? You prune it. Uh, if you like to drink good wine, Look at people. People are pointing at each other. Not me. <laughs> I was winking at a particular person in here. Two of them that have skilled your pastor. Okay. Um, I didn't say that. I'm kidding. No, I'm not. Um, pruning is a... With grapes, to get the balance and to get the quality and to get what you want, you don't let just whatever happens, happens. There's a pruning that goes on to get the best out of it. God designed it that way. Now listen to this. Who he loves, he... In fact, Jesus said it this way. Dude, if you're producing a lot of fruit... Well, he didn't say dude. Okay, so it's a paraphrase. It's a paraphrase. So it's a paraphrase. <laughs> Do you guys love my paraphrase or what? Right, all right. It's a paraphrase. Um, <clears throat> the Leech Bible says this right here. Jesus said, when you're producing a lot of fruit, because the Father loves you, listen to this, he prunes you. You know what's really difficult about that is that we think in our mind, I finally got to this place where it's rocking. Man, I've worked so hard to get here, and it's really producing. Yay, God, don't touch anything. <laughs> God, I've prayed so long. I've waited so long. We have put so much into it. We're finally at this great place. And God's like, and here's what I want from you. I want more and better fruit. So, snip. Which makes you think in some terminology that God is angry with you. And Jesus actually used the word, whom he loves, he disciplines. And pruning is a part of it. The, the weird thing about pruning is that when you prune, you get more, not less. So it hurts for a season, but then the next season is incredible fruitfulness. So that when you're going through something where you feel like there can't be any more pruning that could possibly happen. God's like... No, I'm very skillful at this. So I'm, I know exactly what I'm doing. Hold on. here. And I think then um, what needs to be recognized is that we just think to ourselves, those are one-time events. Whom he loves, he wants to produce fruit and not just good fruit, but the, qual the older you get, the quality of the fruit becomes more important. Yes. What it looks like and how much of it you produce, that's maturity. I think I told this story visiting, um, I've got relatives that live in uh, Livermore Pleasanton, California, that Northern California area, just south of uh, Napa and Sonoma, but they have some great wineries there. One of them is Wente, W-E-N-T-E. -E. I know none of you have ever heard of it. Wente Vineyard. What makes Wente grapes special is that the soil is super rocky. And so the roots struggle to go deep. But in the struggle, they produce a sweetness 
that other vines can't. It's always in the struggle that we produce things we never knew that make us more valuable when it's presented to somebody. Do, am I making sense? Don't trip on the wine issue. I, that's not what I'm... Any gardener or landscape knowledgeable person will tell you if you're beginning something, here's a cliche that they told me when I first planted. The first year, everything will sleep. The second year, things will creep. And in the third year, if you've done it right, you'll get the leap. Sleep, creep, leap. But then here's the funny thing. Now you've got to prune back to keep it going long term. It'll actually kill those things if you don't prune them back and get them ready. God loves you so much that his desire is that the fruit wouldn't kill you, but that long term you would produce beautiful fruit in your life. So what's that fruit look like? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mercy, gentleness, self-control against such. There's no hold back, man. You ever prayed for more peace? And some of you are like, I don't want to answer that because I know what you're going to say. You ever prayed for more joy? You need more love? Patience, self-control. There's a pruning that's involved in order to bring that fruit out of our lives. Sugar, am I on? Am I? Yeah. Let me go to two real quick, time-wise here. Uh, sewing. Again, because it is a paradoxical kingdom, it doesn't work. Um, the way that the world says. Here's what the world would say. Um, uh, you know, whatever you get, man, hold on to it. Uh, I don't have any cash on me. Anybody got any cash on them? I need some cash real quick. Youth pastor's got five ones. Yeah. Oh, that's a hun. Dude, you got a, got a hun jeep. Thank you, bro. That was okay, I'm going to show you a trick. So this is, there's a guy in our church whose dad was a fairly good businessman, but he was a very stingy person. And he never got giving, and he never got generosity, and he never got, um, he never got the real purpose of money. So this is the lesson that he taught his son. He got the money out of his pocket, and he told his son, get it out of my hand. Take it. Take it. Get it out of my hand. And this is what he told his son. This is how you should go through life. Don't let anybody get any money out of your hand. Well, that sounds like a really powerful lesson, but it leaves out the other side. That Yeah, you need to be good with money, but this money right here, why do you think God gives it to you in the first place? No, no, what do you really... So if, so if you're sitting there, oh, I knew he turned it into a giving mess. What <laughs> Part of God's plan is that he wants to give it to you because he needs some of it to go through you. And if all you get is that first part of how hard you can hold on to it, 
you have failed the money test. Yeah, you'll get to the end and you'll have a lot of it. Here's what the Bible says. When God makes rich, he has no burden to it. And do you know that some of the hardest, (laughs) most difficult situations I have ever dealt with as a pastor in 33 years are people who are set up financially but are miserable in so many parts of their life because they never got that part. And they cannot connect the two things together. God bless me, bless me. But they want to bless the world's way. Just give me more, 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 more. Why? What will you do with it? I will hoard it. Yeah, you should save it. Yes, you should invest it. Yes, you should prepare for your future. But if it's all about you, you're a narcissist. Coming back next week. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Luke 6:38. Hey, let me just do this real quickly. This is uh, this is Jesus. Give and you will what? Yes or no? That's paradoxical. Your gift will return to you full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. So in other words, here's what God is saying. You want room for more, you got to make room for more. Here's what we think. Give it to me and I can hold more. Your hands were meant for more than holding on to money. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. That is a paradoxical verse. Let me just give you these real quick that go along with the same idea, Old and uh, New Testament. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. So it's a paradoxical kingdom. Give it to God first and then he will add more to it. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Wow. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. Um, I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. So here's the thought. If I hold on to it, I'll have more than I ever need. God's paradoxical. God's upside down. God's testing what comes first in your life. You cannot serve both God and the spirit of money. He wants you to put him first, but here's the deal. If you prove to me that I'm in first place in your life, then I can give this to you and it doesn't harm you. But if I'm not first in your life and I give this to you, ultimately it will mess you up. Yes, you'll be wealthy. Sure, you'll have a lot of money. Look at me. You can say it's self-serving. Pastor, I'm a pastor and it's my job. This is in the Bible. (laughs) Can't just teach the part that everybody just like, that's easy to hear. I'm not your pastor if I do that. I'm your wimp. (laughs) If you think I'm out of context with it, if you think I don't understand it, please, show me. I'm a reasonable person. My email is john at jfc.org. Love to talk to you about it. Do I think people abuse that? Yes. Uh, (laughs) I read this. All right, don't let my temper get the best of me real quick. I read about this pastor who has three jets right now, but needs a fourth one, and it's $54 million so that he can fly nonstop. 
And here's what he said. If Jesus had a choice, he wouldn't ride on a donkey. He'd ride on my jet. I don't know whether that's true or not. I'm not here to debate that issue, but I can guarantee you this. With $54 million, dude, I could change the world in so many different ways, and I wouldn't do it with a jet. I'm not against jet travel. If you travel by one, let me go on a vacation with you sometime. I really, I would, I would love to do that, man. That would be a thrill for me. Total thrill for me. I would love that. Serious. Let me go. I'm an easy travel companion. I, okay. Um, but that is, you know, you're getting into something at that point where you're, you're taking I get the superiority of private air travel. I get the ease of it. I get, but if you already have three and your big deal is I don't want to have to make a stop to refuel, you've lost sight. You've lost sight of the purpose. This is why people think we're weird. Preachers. Sorry, it's my soapbox. Let me. <clears throat> now he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So the one who is sowing. Do you see that right there? He who supplies, go back to it real quick because I think. He who supplies seed to the, what's the word? Sower. Sower. God gives seed to those who are Sowing, and when you do so, he will also supply, and then that word, increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. If these things bother you, why? Why do they, why? Why would they rub you the wrong way? What is it about it that, that bothers you so much? I'm just wondering, what is it? I would say probably because it has been abused, but can we all agree that this church and this preacher doesn't abuse that? There is a legitimate way to do this and say these things, and there's therefore a reason. Okay, um, three real quick, obedience. Three ways that multiplication happened in a person's life. It's God's blessing for you to multiply. He wants you to grow. He wants you to increase. He wants you to learn. He wants to bless your life. But it's paradoxical so that instead of just constantly growing, there's pruning. Instead of just always holding on to it, there's sowing. And instead of doing what you want to do, there is obedience. Probably the most important thing you could learn out of this message is obedience. Zechariah 3.7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in, what's it say? Obedience. One more time. If you will walk in obedience. Obedience to me and keep my requirements. Look at this. Then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Here's what he's saying again. Obedience brings promotion. It brings increase. Want to do better. Obedience is a key to that thing right there. Nobody knows your heart. I can't judge your heart. I don't know what's going on in your heart. Don't want to. It's never my job. But I do know as a human the struggle that we have with obedience. We all have it. Man, we're all tempted to do our own thing, to go our own way, to make our own decisions, to think that we can skirt around the issue, to wink at God while we do it, 
that's not what he wants, man. The Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. God wants obedience from us. The Bible says Jesus had to learn obedience by the things he suffered. The book of Hebrews says that. <laughs> obedience, obedience. God wants obedience out of you. I think our responsibility is to obey. Listen to this. If you think it's hubris, arrogant, or an overreach, I apologize. It's not where my heart is. I don't want to judge your heart. Don't judge my heart. Just let me say this. I think that one of the great strengths I have as pastor, and it's borne itself out 20 years here and 33 years overall, is that I think I'm an obedient person. If God tells me to do something, I will do that thing. When I was younger, it came without any hesitation. But here's what's funny. The older I get and the more that's in my hand, sometimes it's harder to be obedient. Can we just talk? It's harder. And every once in a while, the Lord has to challenge me on an obedience issue. And I have to wrestle with my future versus trusting God. And I can never allow what I want and my security and what I'm working for to become what sits on the throne of my life. And God will challenge me with that so that this message is going to apply right now in a very unique way where I have to be obedient. And I need to share with you three things. The first 10 years of my ministry were about establishment here. The second 10 years were about raising up, starting and multiplying churches and pastors. But the third 10 years... The Lord has said something to me, and I need to be obedient. So before you start worrying, okay, listen carefully. There are two major changes that we're making that are key to being obedient because we want to multiply, and it's a paradoxical kingdom. So there's a bit of pruning and there's a bit of sowing all tied into obedience. And here's the first one. Ten years ago, we began down the trek of campus churches. I think it's the smartest way in the world to raise up pastors. The number one way people are one to Christ, believe it or not, is through church planting. Before I ever started the church, before I ever moved from Fort Collins, before I ever uh, got our name... Here's what I wrote in a sentence, that we will plant churches so the maximum number of people can taste the bread of life. It's who I am and what I do well. One of the things. I never asked this question, though. At what level do they have to become their own thing so that they can do what we did as a church, too? And we started asking that question last year and it's just gone really well. Evan, Pastor Bob. But there are two right now that I look at. We have three more, we have four campuses, including LT, Parker, Lakewood, Castle Rock. And I just, uh, just need to tell you what's the hat. Parker is an infant and therefore doesn't fit into anything that I'm talking about. When you have children and they're little, 
your job is to protect, feed, clothe, watch over, raise, and you're doing it all for one reason, so that when they get to be adults, you can release them to go do what you did. It's God's blessing to multiply. And if you short-circuit that, you're actually taking away God's plan for what could happen. So we began to look at Lakewood and where we are with it and what's going on, and quite honestly, uh, when we said yes to starting a church out of Lakewood and I gave away the resources there, Lakewood never really recovered. It ran at a $300,000 deficit last year. And any businessman in this room will tell you that's not a good business plan. There's a scripture in the book of Luke where Jesus talks about a guy that owns property and he has a gardener that works for him, and the guy that owns the property comes down and looks at a tree, and he said, man, for three years, I've been trying to get fruit out of this tree. I'm sick of it. Cut it down. And the gardener just looks at it and goes, hey, man, give me one more year. Let me till the ground. Let me fertilize it. Let me prune it. Let me take care of it. And then, if not, we'll tear it down. And so the landowner throws everything that he has at that thing to try to turn it around. You know what's funny? It never tells us what the outcome was. It never says what the outcome was because maybe there's two outcomes. But in our situation, I knew where we were at and I threw everything I had at it, the best people, the money, the time. I took the pressure off of it. But the bottom line is, man, we have fasted and we have prayed as a group of leadership, talking to all of my pastors, and the conclusion is we need to close Lakewood. There's another church out there We used it. It was great. It was given to us. We put some money into it to bring it up to speed. It was wonderful. We launched a great church out of it. Been so pleased with Lakewood. But the bottom line is it ran its course and a season is over. And now I believe another church can use it. I don't know who that church is. So that you know, I don't own the property. It's in the name of our church and I can't make that decision. We have to make that decision But what I do get to do is lead spiritually where the church is going. And I've talked to several pastors, Evan, DJ, multiple pastors. No pastor has it in their heart. We feel like the Lord is saying, stop. So we're going to stop and we're going to stop at the end of the month. But then we began to ask, okay, so what about where we're sowing? What's working? What's doing good? And what do we want to do to increase that? And it's really popping down Castle Rock. But we recognize, man, you know, I just got to be, listen, I think you know me if you go here. I keep everything as above board as possible. I keep everything, what I say is the way that it is. It's transparent. You're free to ask any question. But I went to Dan and Kim and I just said, look, you guys, you've been with me for 19 years. And uh, Dan, you're not getting any younger. (laughs) You're not. And Dan had three words when he came to Jubilee. Here's the first word, serve John and Chris. Here's the second word, God will put you in a position where you're over. And last but not least, you will be a senior pastor someday. And Dan and I, through talking to each other and discerning the time and where we are, it's time for Dan and Kim to become senior pastors. And the best thing that I can give them, the most I can sow into their lives, is to give them a campus that's established, that's doing well, 
and to give them an opportunity to have a head start. So I met with the painters who pastor that church now, DJ and Cammy, who were pastoring Lakewood and have served me for 17 years, wherever I needed them, and the DeMays, and they came up with this plan, not me. Those three couples want to go, and they're going to take the church in Castle Rock, turn it into their own church. We're going to give them everything that we have there and launch them as a very powerful church. It's sowing. So there's a bit of pruning to multiply, and there's so 